Has everyone in here and everyone watching, have we all seen The Lion King, right? Okay, good. I'm going to make a safe assumption that the answer is either yes, I have no intention to, or I boycotted Disney a long time ago. I don't know, but either way, I shouldn't feel any responsibility for ruining the plot for anybody. And so remember uh, when Simba's dad, Mufasa, when, when he falls from the cliff, he's not getting up. He's kind of a little dead. You remember that beautiful Disney moment with your kids? Remember that? When your kids looked at you and said, why isn't he getting up, Daddy? Oh, thanks, Disney. That was great. Love that. But beyond that, do you remember Simba's reaction to that at all? To that moment, Simba, the reality is that there were, there were all kinds of extenuating circumstances that led to his father's death in that moment. But it's undeniable that it was his willful act of disobedience and defiance against his dad that led and contributed to the chaos that caused his father's death. And do you possibly remember what happened when that landed on him, when that kind of reality struck him? Yeah, that he was a big part of creating the chaos that, that led to his death. Do you remember his response? Well, he ran, right? And he lived a completely different life. Now, was it the worst life? Was it a life of crime and drugs? No, not really. I mean, he found some buddies, Hakuna Matata and all. Means no worries. Remember all that fun stuff? And but he was miles. He was miles from where he was supposed to be, and he was miles from who he was supposed to be. And in running, he abandoned his identity and eventually completely forgot who he was altogether, a son of the one true king. So why the cheesy Lion King illustration to start this morning? Well, because I've been in ministry long enough to know that that story plays out all the time. People saying like, Hey, I used to be about the things of God. I used to walk in lockstep with Jesus. I mean, we were tight. And then something happened. Either something happened to me or, or I did some things that I just could not shake the shame and the guilt. And so I ran. And I, and I started living a different life. It wasn't the worst life. But at some point, I just I completely forgot who I was. I didn't even know who I was anymore. And because of that, there's... There's some things that were just going on in your life. That's what this whole series has been all about. Just kind of wrap it up in a nice little bow for you. Helping you see, right? Helping you see like Simba when he gazed into the reflection of that water and that monkey guy said, Correction, I know your father. Do you remember that? Anyway, I watched a little bit of that scene to get ready for today. So He was reminded of the fact that he was a child of the king. And so... Like Simba, for those of us who have placed our faith in Jesus by asking him to be the forgiver of your sins and the leader of your life, we needed you to know. Like I wanted you to know there is no distance that you can run. Uh, there is no amount of time too long that would actually keep you from being what you are, a child of the one true king, a child of God. And because of that, there's some things about you that are just intrinsically true. Now, you may not be experiencing them, the, the, the full benefits of them or the fruit of these things, but they're true nonetheless. And these truths, uh, we've called them your specific identity. And really, they're just different angles, right? I, I, sh I shared this kind of illustration of a giant diamond, and, a, and a, we're taking different angles. We're looking at different angles of the, the truth of the gospel of Jesus. The gospel of Jesus is this, that Jesus came into the world to save sinners, sinners like you and sinners like me, and he died on a cross as a complete and total payment for yours and for my violation of sin against a holy God. And on that cross, he absorbed all of God's wrath 
towards those who would choose to believe in him. And then on the third day, which we celebrate in a week, on the third day was resurrected as proof of that total and final payment. That's the gospel. And so based on what we do with that gospel, after we put our faith in Jesus, after we accept the truth of that gospel, there's some things about us that are true. We, week two, we talked about that you are justified. You are justified. You cannot justify yourself. It's Jesus that justifies us by his blood and nothing else. We can do nothing else to justify ourselves. And week three, you are a new creation. Uh, this idea of complete and total newness that occurs when the Holy Spirit comes and takes up residence inside of us. He begins to change everything about us. He gives us a new heart. Uh, we care about things. We have different desires. We have, we have different things that we're focused on in life. And he gives us a new mind and it shifts our focus to, to, to be more shifted on him and his purposes. And then last week, last week we talked about that you are adopted. Uh, last week I showed you a photo of my kids and anyone with a keen, astute eye probably noticed something about one of my kids might be a little bit different. One of my beautiful children just is a little bit different than the others. Maybe you noticed their hair was a little bit longer. Maybe you noticed their skin tone is just a touch different. Well, his name is Caleb. He spends a lot of time in the basement. But <laughs> no, Cadence, Cadence actually, be, she became a paddock at the age of just nine months old. But there was this giant process that took place to make that happen. Uh, if you've known anybody that's adopted or if you've adopted yourself, you know the home studies, there's piles and piles of paperwork. There's, we had multiple trips back and forth to Ethiopia, tons of money spent. But eventually, eventually, Fauna became Cadence Fauna Paddock. With all of the rights, all of the privileges, and the inheritance that comes with being a paddock. I mean, I've got a beat-up truck and some shop tools that are all hers someday. I mean, she's going to get it. So last week we talked about adoption, and adoption actually is probably my favorite way, my favorite angle to look at the gospel of Jesus, that, that the God of the universe chose me to be a son. He, he didn't have to do that. Adoption didn't have to take place. He could have justified me. He could have forgiven me and said, you're forgiven, but I don't want anything to do with you. But that's not what he did. I, I get to be a son of the king with all the rights and privileges and inheritance afforded the son of the king. Well, our angle for today, our angle for today, redemption. Redemption is the process through which adoption takes place. Just like Holly and I had all kinds of work that we had to go through, a really long process to ensure that our daughter would be a paddock for the rest of her life. For you and for I to become a child of God, for us to become children of God, redemption has to take place. And for those of us who have placed our faith in Jesus by asking him to be the forgiver of our sins and the leader of our lives, you are redeemed. Redemption is this. It's actually a fairly simple word. It simply means to purchase back, to pay the price to buy something back. And let me kind of show you the connection between redemption and adoption in a letter that a guy named Paul wrote. He says this in Galatians 4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. There's a few things to see here. The fullness of time. Well, who knows the fullness of time? Well, <laughs> only one who is outside of time. Okay, so someone outside of time is, is saying, hey, I have a plan. I, I know what's going to take place. And so at the perfect time, God sent his son. God was up to something. From creation to to Revelation, God is up to something, and when the time was right, 
He sent forth his son. And this is so important to understand. We have God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, triune in nature, all one God. The Son, co-eternal with the Father, has always been and always will be. In fact, we read in the book of John that it was Jesus. It was the work of Jesus that he was the active agent in creation. It was his words. It's his mouth that holds everything together. The Son of God descends to earth and puts on flesh and blood. He puts on a flesh suit and he dwells amongst his own creation, but he's born of a woman, fully human. Fully human with the same temptations that you and I have endured. He's a human being. In all the ways that you're human, he was human. Now, he's also fully God, which you don't have going for you. I can promise you that. But Paul makes it super clear to us. He's super serious about us knowing that he was born of a woman. He's not some kind of ghost or some sort of spirit being. He had a mama, just like you had a mama. But he's also under the law. And this is just simply in reference to the fact that he was born a Jew that he was born an ethnic Jew, that he was dedicated in the temple, that he was circumcised on the eighth day, that he was taught the law. But it goes on, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth the Son to be born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. So here we see, redemption, the process through which adoption occurs. To become children of God requires being redeemed. It requires being purchased back out from under the law. And so when the writers of Scripture, especially Paul in particular, when you read his epistles, his letters, when he uses the phrase under the law, he's always referencing the fact that you and I are constantly trying to save ourselves by the law. That we're constantly trying to save ourselves through our works. And, and just to simplify, so in case you weren't here a few weeks ago, the law is simply the 600 and plus laws that we find in the Hebrew Scriptures, which is actually our Old Testament now. Laws that God gave his people to live by and to protect them. But there were so many. <laughs> so, what is it, so what does it mean to be under the law? I'm glad you asked. Thank you for asking. It's the bulk of my message, really, so I'm glad you want to know that. To be under the law it means this. To attempt to justify yourself by the law. To seek to make yourself right. Uh, to make yourself just before a holy and perfect God by using the law. And for us today, really the law is just simply our own moral code. Uh, our own standard of what's good and what's bad. The scales that I've mentioned over and over again throughout the series. And your ability to live by that moral code. Here's what Paul has to say about that in Galatians 2. I do not nullify the grace of God for if righteousness we're through the law, and Christ died for nothing. And Christ died for no purpose. This is week two. You see how these kind of things are all just starting to form together. They're all coming together. This is justification. Here's what he's saying. I won't nullify the grace of God by believing that I could justify myself through works of the law, through my own actions, through my own goodness. I certainly wouldn't think that I would nullify that by my own heritage. We've talked about this over and over again as well. You're never born a Christian. <laughs> your parents were. Was your daddy upright? Was he constantly with Jesus? Was he, was he always in the word? That's awesome. That doesn't mean you are. It means your daddy was. You cannot be born a Christian. You certainly cannot be born a follower of Jesus. Now, can you be born in the church? Sure. Absolutely. Born right up here on the stage. I'll slap your bottom. I'll dedicate you to Jesus. And yeah, yeah, you're born in the church, but so what? You were simply born in a building where the church gathers. It means nothing. 
Behavior doesn't do it. How well you stack up to others around you, it doesn't do it. And your heritage does not do it. There's a way to live that says, I don't need Jesus to die for my sins. I'm doing just fine by myself, and I'm certainly doing better than that guy. So to be under the law, it it means to rely on the works of the law. And Paul says something about that as well in Galatians 3. He says, for all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. All things. One of the primary purposes of the law is to show you that you can't, to generalize, to show you you just, you can't do that and that you need a savior. So he's saying here, you want the law? You want to try and justify yourself through your works and through your own moral code and the 600 plus laws, you want to do them? Go for it. Give it a shot. You just have to know them all and you have to obey them all, all the time. And that is, that is being enslaved. That is working so hard to try and earn love based on your own merit, based on your own actions, when it's truly a love that, that it's freely given. You'll, you'll constantly be working on self-improvement projects, and you will always fall short. I mean, we know this. I, I think we all know this. Anyone had the moment where you swore, get me out of this one. Get me out of this one, God. And never again, I will follow you for the rest of my life. I will serve you forever if you get me out of this one. And lasted about 48 hours, if I'm being generous. Anyone? Anyone got that testimony? Either you do or you haven't been to college yet. Those are the only two options in the room, I think. (laughs) A part of the purpose of the law is to show you that you need a Savior. To be under the law is also to seek eternal life by trying to obey that law. And he talks about that as well in Galatians 3. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if the law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. He's just simply making the point that we are in deep, deep need of redemption. That you and I need to be purchased back from being enslaved to this idea. Because there's not a moral code. There's not a moral code that you can live by that will bring life. There's intimacy with the creator. There's a relationship with Jesus, but there's no moral code that you and I can nail that will finally give us the gladness and the peace and the joy and the hope that our heart desires. In this letter, the Apostle Paul is letting them know over and over again, to actually be children of God, you must be purchased back from under that law. And because of that purchasing, we're no longer under the law, but under grace that doesn't mean that you and I don't strive to do what is right, to do, to do our best, to, to live a God-honoring life. It's that when we fail, we get back up and we keep moving towards God, knowing that we are not condemned in our failures and our struggles. You see, here's, God knew. He knew what he was buying before he paid for it. He knew what he was buying before he paid for it. Jesus had the Carfax, Right? He had the car. There's also this thing I did some research on this past week. There's, he had something called a clue report. You ever looked at a clue report when you're buying a house? You should probably get one of those next time you buy a house. It tells you everything that ever happened in the house. So if there's been water damage or a pipe has burst or leaking roof, it's, it's going to be on this report. Someone died in the back bedroom. It's going to be on this report. I want to know that. 
I'm not superstitious, I'm just a little stitious. Just, just a little. That's a good dad joke. I thought I'd get a better laugh than that. Sorry. You need to know, you need to know that, that Jesus has the clear report. He sees everything and he's buying anyway. That's what redemption is. He said, they decimated the house. Do you see what they did to the house? Yeah, and I'm buying it anyway. They completely destroyed that kitchen. Did you, did you even look at the kitchen? Yeah, I know, I know and I'm still, I'm still paying full price. This is redemption. And when redemption moves us into adoption, Jesus is buying it all. When we, re- when we surrender to the redeeming work of Jesus, he takes it all. Past, present, and future. Let me show you this. In the story of a life with a guy that we read all the time, certainly throughout the entirety of this series, in the life of a guy named the Apostle Paul. Uh, he was originally known as Saul, which a lot of us know that. But we first run into Saul for the very first time in the book of Acts. And, and what we read is there's this guy named Stephen. Stephen's just kind of a, he's a lay person in the church. He's not even on paid staff. But he's got this insane Bible. He knows theology from creation to the death and resurrection of Jesus. In fact, we read in Acts that when he's in conversations with the spiritual leaders at the time, when they're arguing back and forth with Stephen, the phrase is actually in Scripture that says they could not withstand his wisdom. They were annoyed by how smart he was. I, I loved it. And so there's Stephen. He's out. He's preaching, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. You killed him. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And so they take Stephen, makes him angry, and so they stone him. To death. Stephen's our first martyr that we read about in Scripture. And when they're murdering Stephen, when they're murdering this man of God, they, they remove their outer garments, which may not seem like much at first read, but if you think about why, at least what I thought, they don't want Stephen's blood splattered on their clothes. Like, let's get real with what's taking place here. They remove their outer garments. And they lay them at the feet of a man named Saul. And we read about what happens at that point in Acts 8. And Saul approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentations over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. If we had time, we'd jump to, to Acts 9, and we'd be, we would see that Paul just continues to do more of this. He's just out. He's going from town to town, and, and he's ravaging and murdering and imprisoning, shaming and embarrassing the church of Jesus. And we read in Acts 11, it goes on. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also. Hellenists were just uh, Greek-speaking Jews. They're speaking to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was on them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. So what is this saying? Well, it's saying that Saul's persecution of Stephen scattered believers all over the ancient world. And wherever these believers landed, they didn't hide. They continued to preach Jesus. And so churches, groups of people, groups of followers of Jesus began to spring up in all these cities. And a great number believed and turned to Jesus. Now watch this. 
Now they were in the church at Antioch, prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius, son of Cyrene, Menean, a lifelong friend of Herod, the Tetrarch, and who? <laughs> who? I mean, Saul is worshiping Jesus in a church he accidentally planted by attacking the people of God back in Jerusalem. What? Like, how does this even happen? Well, we didn't have time to read it, but back in Acts 9, when, when, when Saul was actually on his way to continue to murder and imprison followers of Jesus, he ran face-to-face -face into the resurrected Jesus. Face-to-face -face with the resurrected Jesus, and in that moment, he was redeemed, he believed, he was purchased back from under the law, and everything changed. You don't think Jesus knew what he was buying? You don't think Jesus was aware of what he was paying for? He knew, and man, did he have a plan. He had a big plan. Saul, who set his face and made his plans towards murdering and putting to death this very young, very vibrant early church, just a couple thousand people at the time, and accidentally spreads the gospel across the ancient world. Then look and see what happens next. I love this. In Acts 13, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas, and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Antioch, a church accidentally planted by Saul, becomes ground zero for the three missionary journeys of Paul. The three missionary journeys that planted almost all the churches in the ancient world. The three missionary journeys that led to what is most of our New Testament, and I would argue leads to you and I in the room worshiping Jesus today. How did all that start? What started with a murderous, blasphemous God-hater who even in his hatred of God ended up serving his purposes. Do you see how redemption works? God doesn't waste anything. He doesn't waste anything. Even on your worst day, I'm guessing you're not this. And if you are, I want to take you to lunch because I would love to hear your story. I mean, this brother tried to kill everybody. He tried to end the whole thing, and he ended up growing the church more than anyone in history. This is how redemption works. You see, Saul's story gets incorporated into God's story. And because Saul becomes Paul in God's story, he's actually now part of your story. Let me show you how that works. In, in 1 Timothy, a letter that Paul wrote to Timothy, he says this, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I acted ignorantly and in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and the love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But I receive mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in me, or to, who were to believe in him for eternal life. He received mercy because he acted in ignorance and in unbelief. But more so, he, he received mercy for you. 
do you see that you are in view right here? Do you see that God is aimed right at you all, all the way back here? I know some of you cannot fathom the fact that God could redeem what you've done. You're so messed up and you're hurt and in the pain that your addiction has caused. You're so jacked up by the fact that your lustfulness destroyed your marriage. You're so beat up because you acted ignorantly and in unbelief and you think it's over for you. And here's God all the way back then. Here's God all the way back then saying, no, no, Saul, you're going to come in. Saul, you're going to be redeemed. You're going to be purchased back so that in 2023, Dan can know that he hasn't outsinned me. So that Dan can know that he can't outsend my grace. I don't know if your name is Dan. It could be prophetic if your name is Dan. It could mean something for you. Do you see what happens here, though? It's for you. It's for you, for, for those who would believe Saul becomes Paul so that you can know. So that you can know that you cannot out the grace of God. Do you, I'm going I'm to have a seat. Can we have a one-on-one? -on -one? Just me and the 450 of you or so. I'm gonna, there. I actually, I... Uh, I cut like 600 words out of my message this morning because I thought it was too long, but apparently I've got time. So uh, I'm going to leave my notes right here. Don't move them. This is just off notes. So I think it was week three. I can't really remember. They all run together. If they run together for me, I'm sure they run together for you. But there was, uh, I had a conversation with some people who hate my series. Remember that? That was great. That was a good conversation. Love that. Well, since that point, I've actually had multiple other conversations where they, they haven't used such harsh language, but they have talked about how this hasn't been the easiest series for them, that, um, man, this struggles, this series has been really tough for me, or, man, it's just been really hard for me, there's some words that they've used. And I've left almost every single one of those conversations with this thought. Man, I, I missed it. I, I must have done something wrong. Because here's the idea, right? Like, if I were to say, you're not a good person, I did say you're not a good person, not if I, I said you're not a good person, right? And then I said, and because you're not a good person, you have so much work to do. Because you're terrible, you have to go figure out how to clean it up. Man, that would be hard. Like, I, I can't even imagine the weight of that. That would... That would create a lot of stress and anxiety, and it would be really hard to hear. But that's not what I meant. I, I, I guess I should say that's not what I meant. I don't think that's what I said, but that's what some people heard. Because if, if I said you're not a good person, but find rest, you don't have to be. Like if they, if they would have heard, man, I'm not, I'm not all that I'm supposed to be. I'm not who I was created to be. But thank you, Jesus, that I don't have to be. Man, what joy. What, what peace should come from that, right? And so, like, when I ended these conversations with these people, that's what I, that's what I want for them. That's what I want for you. And so, so stop trying, right? So, like, if, if that's what you felt throughout this series, that, man, I, I've got so much work to do, just hear from me. I'm sorry. That's not what I meant. I never meant that. 
Never meant that for you because I wanted you to find peace. I wanted you to find joy. I wanted you to find freedom in your identity in Christ. Back to my notes. That's what, that's what I got for free because that extra time. For those of you who can't fathom, for those of you who can't fathom the fact that God can redeem you, uh, that God can't afford to purchase you back. Here's a thought I had uh, just this morning, actually, and I thought I'd share it with you. What you're really saying, and I, you wouldn't say this, I don't think that you would say this, I don't even think that you believe that this is what you're saying, but is that to pay for your sin, to pay for your sin, it would cost more. To pay for your sin, it would cost more than the creator of the universe. The one who spoke it all into being, the one who holds it together with the words of his mouth. It would take more than him coming down to earth. It would take more for, than creator becoming creation and being brutally beaten. It, it would cost more than him allowing himself to be spit on. And, and, and the metal that he spoke into being taken out of the ground and driven through his hands as he dies on a cross. For you, it would cost more than that. That that's not enough for you. And, I, and hopefully saying it that way helps some of you realize how crazy that sounds. You cannot outsin the grace of God. You can't do it. You cannot outspend the redemptive purchasing power of the creator of the universe. I've asked uh, Andrew and Misty to sing a song for us as we kind of wrap up this series. And during this song, like, if you've never put your faith in Jesus, if you're not yet a child of God, and, I, I, and God is stirring something inside your heart, I, I love to say this because I hope people catch the power of it. If you feel God stirring in your heart, you're not doing that. You're, you're not doing that. Like the creator of the universe is drawing you to himself. Like that should blow your mind. Even if you don't make a decision today, man, when you leave today, you should be struck by the fact that there is a God who cared enough to stir your heart in this room this morning. So stop trying. Stop trying to clean yourself up. Stop trying to justify yourself by your own works. Stop thinking you have any ability to be able to afford, to pay for, and work off your own debt and redeem yourself. You can't do it. How exhausting. How exhausting that must be when the invitation is to throw yourself on the mercy of Jesus. Allow him to do the work. Accept the fact that the work's already been done. And during this song, just ask him to be the forgiver of your sins and the leader of your life. There's no special prayer. There's no special words. Just ask him, forgive me, lead me. For those of you in the room who, like Simba, see I brought that back. That's good preaching, right? All the way from the beginning, all the way to the end. For those of you who have placed your faith in Jesus, and already are a child of the one true king. You've just been living a little unsure of who you are. And I don't have any huge next step for you 
throughout the week. But in this moment, in this moment, I hope that you would find rest. That you would, you would find some peace and some joy. And yet you would be overwhelmed by the fact that you are justified. You are a new creation. You are adopted. And you are redeemed.
So who are you? Who are you? If you put your faith in Jesus by asking him to be the forgiver of your sins and the leader of your life, according to your heavenly father, who you are is one of his sons, is one of his daughters. You are one of his children. You're forgiven. You're justified. You're adopted. You're redeemed. So my encouragement to you as we finish this series is live like it. Live like one of his children. Live in that truth. Live in those promises. Follow him. Your father knows best. If you've yet to put your faith in Jesus or not, I, I just don't want to end this series. Maybe you did during that song, but I want to end this series. Maybe something will start in you say, I've, I've yet to do that. And I want to give you an opportunity in this moment, in this time, to put your faith in Jesus and to become one of his sons, one of his daughters. Dear Lord, thank you. Thank you for recklessly pursuing us. For doing what we could not do for ourselves, for us to become redeemed and forgiven and justified and adopted as your children, now and forever. We're blown away. We say thank you. Lord, for every person who's never put their faith in Jesus, whether in the room or watching online, if something's stirring in their heart right now to do that, I pray that they choose to do that. That right now, they choose to confess, Jesus, um, I realize that my violation of sin against Holy Creator God broke the relationship with Him that He created me for. And I need a Savior. And I believe you are that Savior because of your death and resurrection. So I'm asking you to be my Savior. today, Jesus, right now, I'm putting my faith in you and asking you to be the forgiver of my sins and the leader of my life. I want to follow you as my Lord, as my King. In Jesus' name, amen.